Good morning. Um, just a quick reminder that we're um, a couple weeks into a process called a revision, and we will be uh, unpacking things for um, a number of weeks, and uh, the overall process uh, will go over the next several months. And our desire is for everyone connected with Caring Community uh, to come together in thought and prayer and celebrate what God has done in this particular church uh, over the course of our history to celebrate what God is currently doing in and through this ministry, and also to spend some time seeking to understand what God wants to do in our church moving forward. I've used this quote, uh, today we're looking at a call to mission, and I've used this quote uh, from Henry Blackaby in the Experiencing God study, where he talks about the church is most effective when we invest our energy in seeing where God is moving and joining him there. We have a great capacity for us to decide where we want to move and then beg God and try to motivate God to join us in what we're doing. That's awesome. It's glad we're doing something. Uh, but it's really far more effective if we fine-tune our spiritual insight and get a sense for where he's stirring. And, and some of the things, I've been doing membership classes, and some of the things that, that have a long-standing um, degree of effectiveness in our ministry, like the fireworks outreach, flowed when we actually kind of noticed God was doing something, like bringing people here uninvited to show up at our property, and thought, hey, maybe we could join God in what he's doing and make it even better. So that's kind of where we're at. Part of this process, as we're part way into, is a nine-week teaching series. As it says in the bulletin, since all nine weeks... uh are interconnected on some level. If you miss one, we strongly encourage you to find a way to listen to it on your own. There's an app. It's on our website. I think usually Cheryl puts it on Facebook. Uh, but if you need help with that, be sure and touch base with us. So far, we've looked at a couple things. The first week was the call to revision. And my goal was to say, hey, y'all, everything changes. You change, I change, the church changes, the world changes. The challenge comes in historically, and this is not just us, but historically, uh, the church changes at a much slower pace than the world around us changes. And sometimes that gap, uh, and again, not to say we have to become like the world, I'm not going there, but I'm saying... If the world's different, the way we seek to engage and impact the world probably needs to be different as well. So, call to revision, everything changes. Every, every church from time to time should pause and say, okay, are we on target or could we do something differently? Uh, we get in trouble when we don't do that. So the call to revision, everything changes. Last week it was the call to prayer. We talk about figuring out where God is moving and joining him. We cannot know where God is working and join him if we don't ask. All right? Some of you have that wonderful relationship in your marriage where you expect your spouse to just know what you're thinking and be on board with it. Nod your heads. Don't elbow them. I see you guys giving the stink eye. All right. But um, we, we can do that with God. It's like, you know, somehow it's just supposed to happen. No, prayer, seeking the heart of God, is 
my opinion, probably the most effective tool for us to figure out where he's moving. Prayer, prayer prayer-informed decision, prayer-informed observation, uh, all of that makes a difference. So last week was a call to prayer, and today is the call to mission. Just, uh, and again, y'all are in church. Why am I saying y'all? Did we, t- did we move south? Maybe I'm wishing we were down south because it's warm. I, I don't know where that comes from. Sometimes it just happens. All right. You're in church, so there are certain things that are just foregone conclusions, but sometimes it's, you just got to pause and say, okay, take a breath. Remember, we do what we do for a reason. Okay? may not always understand, but sometimes everybody, even those of us in leadership, need to step back and say, oh yeah, we do what we do for a reason. Say that with me. We do... Alright, so the call to mission um, is we have good news. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 2. And the first part of that is good news, God loves you. Pure, simple, God loves you. Nod your head. If you take nothing away today, leave here knowing God loves you. Uh, you guys can't see it, but Joey's just exploding in over here because she came to me a couple weeks ago and she said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And, and sometimes that's a, not Joey, but whenever we need to talk, it's like, oh, what did, what did I do now? Because sometimes I do stuff and people need to talk to me because I messed up. And Joey's made time, sit in my office, and just said, Pastor, I want you to know God loves you. No, he really does. And, and again, I want you to know God loves you. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to move through this rather quickly. Uh, again, some of you noticed during this series, I, I'm kind of scooting past stuff pretty quickly. But several things about the fact that God loves you. First of all, his love for you gives life. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. In other words, all of us, at one point, we weren't alive spiritually. We were dead spiritually, and that's the bad news. The good news is we don't have to stay there in which you used to live. used to live, past tense, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So that's what it used to be like, but it doesn't have to be that way anymore. All of us also lived among them at one time. We were all there. We all need good news. And that will come up in a second. All, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following desire, its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We needed a kick in the pants or a slap upside the head uh, or even worse. All right, so that's, that's, that's the bad news. The good news is, but... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love. Remember I said God loves you? Because of his great love for you, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we're dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. There was supposed to be another slide there, and I skipped past it. Good news? God loves you. Pure, simple, good news. I, I'm going to back up to that last part. 
because of God's great love for you, because of God's great love for you, God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive with Christ. Even when you didn't deserve it, even when you couldn't earn it, it is by grace you have been given the opportunity to choose life. And friends, I'm just going to put it right there temporarily. Pause, take a breath, Steve. God loves you. I don't know what your history is. I don't know what your past is. I don't know where you're at right now. But at some point, we were all dead in our transgressions and sin. But because of God's great love for us, because he loves you, God, who is rich in mercy, said, I'm going to give you a lifeline, Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is say, God, thank you for your love. I want to make that mine. That's how much God loves you. Leave here today, nothing else. Leave here today understanding that God loves you. What you do with that is between you and him. His love for you gives promise. It's not enough to give you life. His love for you gives you promise. Part of the conversation that Joey and I had in my office is that God's love for us is something that is virtually impossible for many of us to fully grasp and understand. Because as one person puts it, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And I I can't wrap my head around that. You know, people that I love, and, and there are some people I love deeply, but sometimes I love them a bit more when they do something nice for me. I'm just being honest, all right? Yes, there's a core value of love, and, and I get that. But the other side of that, where, where we just have an incredible time wrapping our head around, is there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. I say, what? Have you not watched the news? There are some people doing some really nasty stuff. But in his divine, incomprehensible capacity, God loves us, period. Not based on what I do, not based on what I don't do. God just plain loves us. And that brings with it his promise. Just, just look at this. We're not going to go through all those verses, but, but we're going to pick up on a couple of them. <clears throat> and God raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in Christ Jesus. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Again, it is by grace you have been saved. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. God's love for you gives you a promise. And and I hope you grasp that promise. Let's back up. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The promise we have is that of being raised up, literally, to be in relationship with the very Son of God in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Again, incomparable riches of his grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That's the promise that we have. And his love for us also gives us purpose. Gives us life. It gives us promise. It gives us purpose. Friends, this is to you and to me. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Personalize that. For I am God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for me to do. Now, friends, just process that with me for a moment. The verses that we just read, remember the promise I talked about? It said, we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But because of his transforming power in us, he gives us purpose And as a part of that purpose, there's stuff that he enables, equips, empowers us to do. Now, some of you come from a performance-based background, all right? When I read that, and I'm not saying this is theologically correct, but when I read that, I find myself wondering, if I am God's handiwork... And I've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. I wonder sometimes if I'm not doing what he created me to do, is it even getting done? You think about that. Some of you work with folks who don't do their job. And sometimes their job just doesn't get done because they don't do their job. Sometimes I, I just think, oh, wow. God has given me an opportunity. He's given me a purpose. And if I'm not fulfilling it, is that purpose being realized? Just a thought. No charge for that extra tidbit. So God loves you. That's the good news. Good news, God's love is for everyone. God's love is for everyone. 
Before we unpack the next few verses in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to remind you, we we looked at it a lot during the Christmas season. One of the better better known verses of Scripture is John 3.16. And just a reminder that God's love is for everyone. That verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, which again, just, wow, what do you do with that? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And friends, I, I would just underline as I did on the screen, I would embolden that phrase, whoever. God's love is for everyone. God's love for us, so God loves you, but that love is also for everybody else. You're special, but you're not the only one who's special, right? God's love is for everyone. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. All right, so let's unpack the next few verses. Again, I'm only going to hit on a couple of these, but, but verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the, hum- in the human body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ, Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Let me back up to that one. So again, I went through it kind of quickly, but basically, Paul is saying, you got folks who are thinking they're in with the in crowd, and you got those who aren't. And Paul is saying, by the transforming power of God's love, he's always looking to draw others, everyone, to himself. And as he draws people to himself, he draws people closer to each other. Just think about this. Some of you know folks and new folks in this room independent of your connection to this church. But many of us, were it not for the common bond of this church, we would have never, ever, ever had contact with one another. But somehow, God draws people together as he draws people closer to himself. Then Paul continues in verse 14, where I started to go. He said, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And again, when we say God's love is for everyone, God in his infinite love, in his incomprehensible love, has an incredible capacity to break down barriers, dividing walls of hostility, and draw people together. And again, that's the beauty and the power of God's love being for everyone. As I said, I've been doing membership training classes, and and sometimes my own experience, my own faith journey seeps into those classes. And I don't know if I've told it in the classes I've been teaching this round or not, but some of you have heard my story before. But one of the things that that really began to break down my barriers, I grew up going to church, but I had my church self and I had my other self. 
and there was no overlap between the two. Saw no inconsistency between going to church and not being a very good person the rest of the time. It is what it is. I wasn't horrible, terrible, but I wasn't very nice either. Throughout my high school years, um, I was, at times, depending on who you ask, a bit of a jerk. There were some people in my school I just flat wasn't very nice to. Not proud of that is what it is, all right? When Diana and I were engaged to be married, some friends began to invite us to their church. And we went to their church, and it was different from any church I'd ever been to, and it was like, this wasn't nearly as painful as I expected it to be. But what I found really messing with my mind when we talk about the dividing wall of hostility is there were people at that church that I had gone to high school with. And there were people at that church that I had gone to high school with that I was really not nice to. You might have said I bullied them a little bit. What messed with my head is when I showed up at church, they were nice to me. Because there was no reason for them to be nice to me. They should have said, and they may have said, but they got that God's love is for everyone. They should have said, what's a jerk like him doing here? But they welcomed me. God's love enabled them, empowered them to destroy barriers, to break down walls of hostility, and to treat me the way God would treat me. And that broke down some of my defenses I, I, I suspect that had they treated me the way they would have been fully within their human rights to treat me, I might not have gone back. But because they didn't, it was like, oh. you know, you know how you, when you want to pick a fight with somebody and they won't fight back? It just takes all the fun out of it. It's like, why? I, I, I literally went home to Diana with, or went home with Diana after we'd been there one time. I said, I, I don't understand why so-and-so is being nice to me. I, I didn't get that God's love was for everyone and that they were filled with his love. All right, so that's just a two-cent uh, two detour there. Um, all right, so finally, in verse 18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So when I say God's love is for everyone, it's to remind us that through accepting the promise that he offers, everyone has access to the Father, regardless of where we've been, regardless of our baggage, regardless of our previous choices. God loves us, and God loves everybody else. And his desire is to see us drawn together. Which brings me to the other point, and this is where we embrace the call to mission. God's love is displayed through the church. Just, just to me, this is kind of Paul's interpretation of God's vision for the church. Now again, we all have different visions and expectations for the local Christian church. But this is kind of what Paul was seeing as he looked at the church. Verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So God's vision for the church is for us to become fellow citizens, no longer foreigners, no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. 
and literally members of his household. That's how God wants to display his love through his church. He goes on, he says, built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, different translations use different words there, cornerstone, keystone. But again, some of you have been to buildings, you know, where they've got the date the building was established, you know, in a cornerstone of the building. And, and sometimes there's a, there's a statement there about, about their heritage or what they believe. Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone of his church. Other terms are the keystone. And, and you see in Bible times, they would build an arch. And where the stones finally come together, there's a stone shaped like this that kind of holds the arch together. Because the arch would collapse upon itself without that uniquely positioned and shaped stone. So, when God desires for his love to be displayed through the church, it's to understand that we become part of his household, part of his family, and he, Jesus Christ, is the cornerstone, the foundation upon which it's all built. Yes, the apostles matter. Yes, the prophets matter. But Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that holds it all together. And then it goes on from there. It says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, friends, we're talking the church universal but we're talking each individual local body of Christ to realize that we have been called to come together and become a holy temple to honor the Lord and to help people understand God loves them, to embrace first that God loves us, to help people understand that God loves them, and then to understand that we have a call to mission. Verse 22, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Friends, I don't know what your expectation is for any church of which you are a part. But to understand that a part of God's vision is for us to be built together and become a dwelling place in which the very Spirit of God dwells. If you think about it, whether it's this church or any other church you visit, not necessarily in a bad way, but we all tend to evaluate them on some level. I really like the music. Uh, oh, it was cool the way it was decorated. It was too hot. It was too cold. Nobody spoke to me. Too many people spoke to me. The people were friendly. The people were rude. The pastor was, oh, incredibly entertaining. The pastor was boring. It was a deep, powerful message. It was a shallow message. We, we go all of it. And, and I'm not saying that's good, bad. Otherwise, it just is. But imagine... If we walk into a place and sense it's the dwelling place of the very Spirit of God, I'm hard-pressed to think of higher praise a church could receive 
But that's what God desires for us. Good news, God's love is displayed through the church. So the question that we have to continually come back to is, how is God's love displayed through us? Because we are the church. Our lives being changed for today and for all of eternity because of how God's love is displayed through this church. All of this, God loving us, God loving others, God wanting to display his love through the church, is so that we can answer the call to mission. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 put it this way. And and he's talking about people calling upon the name of the Lord so that they can be transformed, saved, if you will. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The call to mission. Some of you know... I still look up definitions from time to time. One of the dictionary definitions of mission is a specific task to which a person or group is charged. A specific task to which a group or person is charged. Friends, what we are charged with is embracing the reality that God loves us in a real personal way. And receiving, accepting that love in a way that changes us. The task with which we are charged is embracing the reality that God's love is for everyone. The task with which we are charged, the mission we have, is to then display that love as an outgrowth of this particular body of church, body of Christ. Unfortunately, I suspect I don't emphasize it often enough. But from time to time, it's important for us to be reminded that in addition to everything else we do, when it's all said and done, as a church, we are on a mission. And that mission is to take that good news to the world around us. The call to mission then and now. Again, some of you have heard this before, but it's relevant. In 1980, the leadership of the First Wesleyan Church in Battle Creek, now known as Woodlands Church, believed that there were people in Albion and the surrounding areas that needed to know that God loved them. They came to believe that so strongly Then in January of 1981, they hooked up our mobile home to a truck and hauled it to Albion. At that time, I was 25, 
just turned 25. Diana was 24. Our oldest daughter was three, and our youngest daughter was two. They sent us on a mission. That mission was not just to start a church. That mission was to help people experience the love of God in a way that was real, personal, and life-changing. Over the next four decades, others have come along to join that mission. And we became a church. Revision 2020 is about helping caring community as it stands today. Remember that even after all these years, we are still surrounded by people who need to experience the love of God for themselves. Individually, we've changed. There aren't many folks around who were here back in the day. And those who are have changed. Some of you noticed I'm not 25 anymore. Individually, we've changed. Collectively, we have changed. Our means have changed. Our methods have changed. But the mission remains the same. God loves you. God loves them. And God wants us to tell them. Pray with me, please. Father, it is oh so easy to lament the state of the world around us. It is oh so easy to express our frustration with the way things are. And it is oh so easy to lose sight of the fact that we've been called to a mission. That every one of us, individually, and all of us collectively, have been invited by the God of all creation to embrace a specific task, and that is to share your love with a broken and dying world. Father, sometimes we get so caught up in our own personal lives that we lose sight of that. Unfortunately, within the local Christian church, sometimes we get so caught up in all the stuff it takes to keep a church doing what churches do that we can drift from the mission of telling people that God loves them and inviting them to embrace that love for themselves. So, Father, in addition to embracing a call to revision, in addition to embracing a call to prayer, we ask that you would also help us during this season of revisioning to re-embrace a call to mission. Father, we are blessed beyond measure at the ways in which you have smiled upon this ministry 
over the course of the past four decades. But Father, there is still a world in need. And we're asking you to help us open ourselves up to what it is you want us to do moving forward. Help us to discover where you're moving. Help us to have eyes to see who in our world around us needs to be reminded that you love them. Who needs to be shown that you love them? Who needs to be invited to receive that love for themselves? Father, open our hearts, open our eyes, and then empower us to act. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, we had a list of the, the board administration uh, based on some guidelines and suggestions our consultant had given us. Uh, we had created a list of probably 20 names or thereabouts, and, uh, and we proceeded through asking them. I'm excited to report that the first eight people we asked all agreed to do it. And, I, and that just thrilled me that people are willing. Uh, the revision leadership team will acknowledge them up front at another point in time. Uh, Reverend Richard Meeks, uh, he's a, a part of our denomination who specializes in church revisioning processes. A lot of leadership experience. The material we're using is actually material that he wrote. Uh, that's who kind of will be guiding the process. But the actual revision leadership team from within our congregation are Allison Butters, Ed Shaladen, Matthew Dickinson, Steve Eddy, Lori Hollenbaugh, Linda Omer, Molly Riddle, and Josie Turner. So I, I was just ecstatic to get that kind of um, response, even though uh, I didn't fully understand what I was asking them to commit to, and they didn't fully understand what they were agreeing to. But we're all going to figure it out together, and it will be an interesting journey. And you guys will all have ample opportunities to hear more about it. But in the immediate, uh, Lori's going to help bring you up to speed on a few things. So go ahead, Lori. Um, so this morning was the first time that we were actually starting at 9 o'clock. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> there, 9.02. Got it. Um, in the orange room, and some of these slides that you'll see up here are actually in the orange room, and it really gives it some really good energy there. So um, if you need something to do at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, we'd be glad to have you. Um, the second thing is I handed out all four books last Sunday, um, and I know I first read it, I couldn't put it down, and then I read it twice, Mike, because he's like, you shall have it done in one day, and I said, yes, I will. And then I picked it up again and read through it because I wanted to get deeper. Um, for those of you that read the book, have you got it done? If you Raise your hand if you did finish the book or had the book or still reading it. How many would like fresh wind, fresh, it's fresh wind, fresh fire? Anybody else want another copy? Okay. Um, I will tell you right now, first page hooks you in. So you have the opportunity to read it, please do so. Um, next thing I'm going to tell you, how many of you noticed that our bulletin had a tear-off? Okay. Um, if you have not noticed it, and you or some people tore theirs off ahead of time and made me panic a little bit, Mike, um, please tear it off. There, For every day of the week, it has somebody to pray for. In addition to that, there are lost souls out there that just need a little bit extra touch. We've got people that are going through some things that um, we don't know about. 
and it's up to us to kind of read their voices that they're not going to speak to and for us to pray for them. So in addition to um, this tear-off and praying for somebody every day, pray for somebody who's lost that might just be hurting a little bit more, that hates the snow. <laughs> it just there's a lot of need out there. So um, with that, please pray. Good save. I would just uh, agree with agree with what Lori was saying as the worship team makes their way up here. Um, I would encourage you to take your tear off. And we talked about God loves you and God loves them. And it's our job to tell them. Um, if you think of somebody specifically by name that needs to be told uh, or needs to feel that God loves them, I'd encourage you to just write their name on your tear-off as well. Nobody's going to see it but you, but as you use this as a prayer guide, uh, then you'll have that reminder to pray for them uh, to come to experience God's love uh, for themselves in a way that's real personal and life-changing. So, again, you didn't pick up on it already. A part of the revision is say, y'all, we got to be, there it is, y'all again. Where'd that come from? Um, we've got to be praying. And again, the time down the hall on Sunday mornings, uh, again, we went from my office to the orange room. Uh, we had, I think, seven people there today and look forward to seeing more of you join us for that time. Um, just to see God stir. Pat, Pat commented this morning as we prayed together. It's a funny coincidence. We've been doing that for almost a year now, and some of the stuff we've been praying for actually happens. Go figure. You know, I I don't understand how that works, but it's a God thing. So, again, what more we want to see happen, imagine if we prayed about that too. So, all right. Thanks. All right, Greg.